had to change up my recording. I know, like every single episode, there's always something to bitch about in terms of technology, but I just can't get the hang of this. And I had like the worst cramps yesterday. My uterus was wreaking havoc on my body. And I stayed up so late finishing up the notes and the research for this episode. And I had to wake up early today so I could record so that my brothers won't bother me. I'm just tired. Hello, and welcome to the sixth episode of Venting Sesh. I'm your host, Omhani Seeger. Thank you for tuning in. So, when I first started getting serious about this podcast business, I created a list of ideas for bi-weekly episodes that were relevant to the events that occur that month. Since February was Black History Month, I decided to discuss issues concerning the Black community. Since March is Women's History Month, I was going to focus solely on women's issues. And for May, which is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, I was planning on discussing issues that concern Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. According to that plan, today's episode should be about injustices women face on account of their gender, which would be relevant, particularly with the recent murder of Sarah Everard, a 33-year-old British woman who was kidnapped and killed by a police officer. However, There's been increasing concern regarding the ongoing hate towards Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders this past year, in light of a still more recent hate crime, because that's what it was, a fucking hate crime, against eight people in Atlanta, Georgia, including six Asian American women. Suffice it to say, much like my boy Robert Frost, I found myself at a bit of a crossroads. And that's just the thing with the world we live in, and our increasing access to information regarding social injustice. Shit's constantly hitting the fam, and so it gets hard to keep up, and decide what I'm going to focus on each episode. I know, woe is me. So I deliberated, as one does, and figured, much like my aforementioned homie, that I'd take the road less traveled. As important as women's issues are to me, and as integral as calling out sexism and misogyny is to my identity, I frequently hear a lot of discourse regarding the matter. And I am in no way trying to undermine the struggles of women, because as one, I know all too well what a burden it is to be female presenting in a patriarchal society. However, comma, I believe that women's issues are getting ample coverage, and rightfully so. I just want to similarly amplify the concerns of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, who I will henceforth be referring to as AAPI, because their issues so frequently go overlooked. But I'm not going to cover all of the issues such a vast and diverse group of people go through, because as is the case for just about any racial and ethnic grouping, there is no universal AAPI experience. Asia is not a monolith. In fact, the label Asian American technically applies to more than just the East Asians we envision when we hear that label here in North America. South Asians are also Asian Americans. I say all this to say that I can't, nor would I ever want to, cover every experience of all Asian Americans. So in this episode, I'll be discussing the model minority myth 
and how it affects some Asian Americans. One last disclaimer before I close this long-winded introduction. I am not an expert. I do not identify as an Asian American or Pacific Islander. I'm not a student of AAPI studies or in any way a professional on the topic of issues AAPI communities face. In fact, unlike most of the things I discuss on this podcast, I knew about jack squat on the history of AAPI in this country and the discrimination they face. So let me enlighten you on what I've learned. It all started in the late 1800s when an increase in Chinese immigrants, in particular, was labeled yellow peril. To get more information on this phenomenon, I read some chapters of a dissertation written by Harmony Kitak Law, and I'll be citing it heavily throughout this session. Law states that, quote, Chinese migrant workers were believed to be a competitive threat to the Euro-Canadian working class, as they were willing to perform menial or dangerous tasks for a lower wage. In addition, they were perceived as a moral and cultural threat, with a penchant for gambling, opium addiction, and prostitution, end quote. The mostly male Chinese migrants were also feared to be sexual predators, preying upon innocent white women. Sounds like just about all the anti-immigrant rhetoric we continue to hear today. Like, can we switch it up maybe? Do something a little different? I'm getting tired of all this repetition on the part of racist politicians. Come on guys, surely you can come up with something a little more original. The rapists who are coming to steal white people's jobs trope is a little tired. It's so ridiculous too because the whole reason why Chinese people were immigrating to North America in the first place is because the Chinese economy got fucked by the opium wars in the mid-1800s. Wars that were instigated because British traders illegally exported opium to China, which was negatively impacting society. Because, you know, drugs are bad. So the Chinese government was like, stop bringing that shit over here. And the British government was like, Nah, I'm good. You'll suck. Which, I'm the last person to come to the defense of the vehemently Islamophobic Chinese government, but we're talking about people here. So I will say that I find it kind of funny how the British government, aka the empire responsible for the Canada we know today, goes and messes up a country, then gets mad at its people for seeking refuge and a better quality of life in a British colony. It's giving me... American government plants cocaine in predominantly black neighborhoods and then labels them as drug addicts to dehumanize them and justify systemic discrimination. But you didn't hear that from me. The racist stereotypes towards Chinese migrants translated into racist policies. I know. Big surprise. The states had the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, which is exactly what it sounds like, and Canada, our home and stolen land, implemented a $50 head tax aimed at Chinese immigrants in 1885 and then increased it to $500 by 1903. Twenty years later, the Canadian government did what it always does and took inspiration from our big brother down south to create the Chinese Immigration Act that, quote, barred ethnic Chinese from entering Canada with only a small number of exceptions. End quote. Remember that for later. Don't be fooled, though. The Chinese migrant workers didn't just sit and take the discrimination and blatant othering. What history books won't teach you is that East Asian immigrants actively lobbied for citizenship and acknowledgement. They created communities with their peers, which we now know as Chinatowns. 
Some even hoped to accomplish acceptance by showing the white majority that they were just like them. Enter the model minority. What is a model minority? According to Bestie Wikipedia, the model minority is, quote, a minority demographic, whether based on ethnicity, race, or religion, whose members are perceived to achieve a higher degree of socioeconomic success than the population average, thus serving as a reference group to outgroups. This success is typically measured relatively by educational attainment, representation in managerial and professional occupations, and household income along with other socioeconomic indicators, such as low criminality and high family-slash-marital stability. So, the model minority is basically that cousin who went to medical school that your mom keeps comparing you to in an effort to get you to do better, or really just feel bad about yourself. But why is this a problem? What's so bad about saying that all Asian Americans do better academically, professionally, and interpersonally than the rest of us? Isn't that a compliment? No. It's not, and here's a few reasons why. First, the model minority myth is just that, a myth. There are plenty of AAPI who do poorly in school, have trouble finding jobs, and come from broken homes. That whole point about model minorities being overrepresented in managerial and professional occupations is not entirely true because of a little thing called the bamboo ceiling. It's like the glass ceiling, but for AAPI. Its function is to ensure that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders don't get too smart or too successful, lest they overpower the whites. AAPI aren't afforded as many opportunities as white folk to become CEOs, politicians, and other powerful occupations. As for the socioeconomic indicators of success, here are some statistics. A study conducted in the States found a huge discrepancy between the average net worth of Japanese Americans, which was around $600,000, and Korean Americans, which was around $24,000. 20% of Vietnamese Americans have no high school diploma and end up in low-paying jobs. Hmong and Cambodian Americans experience poverty rates higher than the national average. And I'm not saying all this to bash AAPI. It's just important to acknowledge that these are individual people at the end of the day, and that expecting them to be perfect is unfair and reductive. Those who don't meet the expectations that come with the model minority trope are left feeling lesser than, and those who do get no praise and appreciation, because, well, it's expected of them. The success of AAPI who excel in their respective fields is not attributed to their own hard work and drive but rather their cultural values or a biological predisposition. You know, some magical gene that makes them so good at math. Tied to the false ideas of AAPI success is a lack of funding and social support. Since people assume that Asian Americans are living their best lives, the government and charitable organizations don't take them into consideration when deciding where to allocate public funding and donations. AAPI who are in desperate need of assistance with housing and finding a job are often overlooked. Some AAPI students complain that they don't receive extra help with school if they're having academic difficulties, because educators assume that they don't really need the help. Are you starting to see why this model minority business can be so harmful? Let me give you one last reason to really drive home my point.
Historically, and you know how much I love history, the model minority myth has been used to denigrate people of other races, particularly Black and Hispanic Americans. Its insincere flattery from the 60s, intended as a contrast to the, quote, poor and lazy stereotypes ascribed to Black and Latinx communities. The model minority trope was fully made as propaganda. I mean, if the Asian Americans could pull themselves up by the bootstraps and get uber successful, which we've already established is not entirely true, then why can't you black and brown folk get your shit together? It completely undermines the very real systemic discrimination and inequalities that hinder the aforementioned communities. It absolves racists of having to grapple with the complexities of their racism and their contribution to the subjugation of racialized peoples. I'm belaboring this point now, but the model minority myth argues that racism can be overcome by hard work and strong family values. I inferred earlier that some AAPI conformed to the model minority stereotype in an effort to gain proximity to whiteness and to overcome the perpetual foreigner stereotype that so many POC experience. Because we're not hard, POC are always asked shit like, where are you from from? Or, what are you? Or, are you from New York even? I'm kidding about that last one. <laughs> but the othering can get really irritating. When I was younger, it didn't really bother me. I mean, why would it? I went to an Islamic school full of POC, and I still have no problem answering a fellow person of color if they ask me where I'm from from. I'm proud of my roots. I love being Moroccan. What I don't love is the intention of white people who ask that question. When white people ask, where are you from from? They're insinuating that POC are less Canadian or American because they're not the descendants of the settlers who came and grabbed this land from the indigenous peoples it belongs to. Even worse is when they ask, what are you? Which is proper dehumanizing, like, what? <laughs> what do you, what? Does that, what? I remember one time at work, this white guy asked me where I was from. And he wasn't the first and he won't be the last. But he was especially bad. Because when I told him that I was born and raised here in Canada, he got clever. And he was like, well, where are your parents from? And in my head, I'm just thinking, I promise you, not a single white person has ever been asked where their parents are from. Like, who the hell goes up to a person and asks them, where are your parents from? It's none of your fucking business where my parents are from, you racist weirdo. So, like the confrontational bad bitch I am, I caved and I told him that they're from Morocco and therefore my ethnicity is Moroccan. It doesn't stop there though. This motherfucker starts asking me about the geography of Morocco, which he had never heard of before. I tell him it's in North Africa. Please stop talking to me. He then says, oh, it must be pretty hot there, eh? I say, yeah, but not too much hotter than it gets here in the summer. Then he says, well, why would your parents come here? Then I think, how is this interaction still going? And respond with, I don't know, we should ask them. Then he's like, well, if it's warm there, Maybe you should go back. And then I kicked him in the dick. Just kidding. That's what I wish I did. What I actually did was recite his total, 
ask if he was paying cash or credit, and write up the conversation to retell on my podcast. Why did I share this story? Well, it's a common occurrence for POC. And it feels shitty to be living in a place that you deem to be your home, and then having people insist that it's not, and subsequently tell you to go back to where you come from, even though you don't feel like you really belong anywhere else. So it makes sense to me that AAPI would adopt the traits of a model minority for some semblance of kindness, respect, and belonging. After all, don't we all just want to belong? Regardless of the fact that some AAPI used to subscribe to the model minority myth, they are not the ones responsible for advancing it. Remember when I said that Canada prevented Chinese migrants from entering with only a small number of exceptions? I told you to remember that because I knew we were going to circle back around to it. Well, the exceptions were skilled workers or professionals like doctors and engineers. So the only immigrants allowed in were immigrants who were already excelling academically and financially, who could improve the economy. The myth itself is thought to have originated in 1966, when sociologist William Peterson wrote an article for the New York Times. I swear, it's always the sociologists. Like, when you think back to that eugenics shit, that was Henry Spencer who came up with all that nonsense. Like, he was a sociologist. I don't know what's going on with you guys. Like, what is happening up there in the noggin that is causing you to spew out such fuckery, like such headassery, such dumb shit. Um, but anyways, his article was titled Success Story, Japanese American Style, where he highlights the resilience of Japanese Americans in the face of adversity. He wrote, quote, barely more than 20 years after the end of the wartime camps, this is a minority that has risen above even prejudiced criticism, end quote. This is that nonsense absolution of racism that I was talking about before. And as I mentioned earlier, this isn't even true. AAPI advocated for their civil rights and revolted against the countless instances of discrimination that they and their fellow BIPOC faced. There's a lot more that I wanted to discuss in this session, like the unfair wages on the Canadian Pacific Railway, Japanese internment camps, mob attacks against Filipinos in California, but I'm already reaching my time limit and everyone's waking up and making a whole lot of background noise, and I'm just physically exhausted and mentally drained, so I'm gonna have to stop here. I hope that this episode provided you with a brief introduction of just a fraction of the injustices that AAPI face. I encourage you to do some of your own research. The formal education system has really failed to teach students about the deeply grained racism against Asian Americans in this country, and frankly, it's quite sad that I'm just learning about yellow peril at my big, big age of 21. If you'd like to support AAPI during these trying times, I've included some links for GoFundMe pages on the Google Doc for this episode. If you found this episode in any way helpful, please consider sharing it with a friend. I just want to reach as many people as I possibly can, so I can make the most impact. I'm signing off this session, but before I leave, I'd just like to remind you that things will get better. So stay optimistic. Just don't be complicit. Until next time. Hi, editing Omhani here. I just wanted to clarify that Herbert Spencer is the sociologist who contributed to eugenics. Henry Spencer is a fictional character on the hit TV show Psych. 
which I strongly recommend if you haven't already watched it. Really great show. I actually need to rewatch the seasons because it's just so good. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to clarify that because I will not stand for any psych or Henry Spencer slander on this podcast. Herbert Spencer is the asshole. Okay, enjoy the rest of your day.